Welcome to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Steve and Magnus, you know why I'm here. I'm here to give the people what they want. That is right. And today we've got an exciting topic. Getting started and staying fresh, a guide for brand new and seasoned coaches. So we're going to cover all aspects of <laughs> of coaching today. Yep. But before we get there, do you know? Me... Go ahead. Okay. I've got to say it. Before we get there, I got to give a shout out to a scholar, Miss Sue McDonald, who just set the American and world record in the women's 60 to 64 age category, 800. She's a scholar. She's been on that Wicket game for a minute in the Wicket's chat. She's been chopping it up. She's getting faster in the 800 as she's getting older over the age of 55. What the heck? And you know what? I asked her that and she was like, oh, it's just like a bunch of different things, right? She was like, hey, it was you know, one was I got a new coach Two, I stopped drinking alcohol, you know, or drink it now very sparingly. I get better, you know, um, sleep. And then two, she like really picked my brain in the scholar clubhouse about how to use wickets for runners to create or increase reactive running. And then voila, big fat American and world record. I mean, how cool is that? How cool that, is that? That's amazing. And yes! I, I, I just want to highlight the time. Do you remember the time off the top of your head? Uh, off the rip, I think it was uh, two twenty-two. Just looking up. Yep, you're spot on. Yeah, she went from two twenty-five. Yep, two twenty-five down to two twenty-two. Two twenty-two is <laughs> a sixty-plus-year-old woman is insane. <laughs> like, think about that. I mean, there are you know pretty solid good high school girls running you know 220s or right under like 222 is is ripping um, yeah i mean that's amazing and you know what track she said it at i mean and it, that just like sweetened the pot for me at my most favorite track in the whole wide world occidental college oh yes good old the magic Oxy. track baby the magic track still still giving magic that's amazing mm -hmm. well you know what Congrats, Sue. That is, I, my mind is blown by 222 at, at 60. Yeah, um, and she wants to go after the mile American record in their age category, the 15 record, and the 300-meter hurdle American record. Like, this is awesome. I cannot tell you how cool that is. Yeah, that's amazing. That is, I'm just, my mind is kind of blown. So, yeah, just some but, inspiration for others to uh, keep pursuing high goals and keep trying to get better. Yeah. I mean, shout out to Sue. Like she came in, she signed for the clubhouse. She found us and she immediately started interacting with me in the chat and just like pick my brain with a fine tooth code about how to like do wickets for runners. Cause it's not like, again, wickets in the acceleration development or Altus or Vince Anderson style where it's all this, it's a very specific way to kind of train this coordinative reactivity that we all have this capacity for, but that wickets, or an elevated obstacle can help create. And she just picked my brain hard for about, you know, two weeks. And then she applied it to herself. And she's also a coach. And she's going to be applying it to her, her athletes. And I mean, look at how I just love seeing the fruit of that labor. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, that's amazing. It really is. So well done. And, you know, if you want to join in and be a scholar and Learn from people like Sue who are doing things that are, you know, mind blowing, mind blowing, I mean... <laughs> like, you know, literally, you know, American world record for age group. Get on board. That's what we're talking about. Those are the kind of conversations that we have. We can all learn from each other. We've got wonderful high school, college, professional coaches, triathlon coaches. We, we spent some swimming background coaches. We span the gamut as we try and become better at what we do. And if we do it together, we're going to get there quicker. Yeah. It's a community of giving, right? Like everyone eats here. This, that's what I love about the clubhouse. That's what I love about our program. Like, you know, Steve and I, people are always like, you could charge three X more a month than you do for it. And you should. And it's like, nope, because it's about the community. Like we're here to give, we were given a lot of opportunities and knowledge for free or very, 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 
uh, affordably when we were coming into the game. And that's, you know, you j- if you just give back, other people will give, in, you know, in kind. And it's just warms my heart to see it. So hop on board if you're not already a scholar. Join the chat. Join the community in the clubhouse. Get that amazing content that's dropping. You know, Steve is in the final rounds of dropping the Igloy um, mega mega course. It really is a mega course. I mean, it's just tour de force mega course. And you know why it was? Because another scholar was had the access to all these very rare texts, treatises, primary sources written by Igle himself, which you couldn't get. And he just gave them to us to make that course even bigger and better. That's what it's all about. And, you know, that's why that's where our Renato Canova course came from. We had all this Renato stuff and interpretation. And you know what? Another scholar plus uh, Canova said, hey, here's a bunch of stuff. Make it better. And that's 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 what we're all about is is making things better. And it goes back to the, you know, the old school Lydiard. What did Lydiard do in the time before the Internet? He said, you know what? I'm going to travel around the country. I'm going to travel around the world and talk at everything. You know, the I remember my high school coach telling me in the I think it's 80s coming to Texas and. Mm. You're at a high school coaching clinic being taught by Arthur Lydiard. And I believe I believe he died on a speaking tour. I, uh, believe. I was the last, I was part of the last people to ever see him speak. Yeah. I he mean died, he died in in Texas. Um geez. I think two days I was actually at the last last talk he ever gave. He gave a talk in Houston. Whoa. I, I went with it. You know, I didn't know this, Steve. I didn't know this. Yeah, (laughs) asked him a couple questions. He went. He went to Ultra Race, I think, to watch and and do stuff. Um, a day or two later, and then passed away in in Texas on a speaking tour. But I was, I was one of the last few who wow uh, got to got to see him. Insane, insane. But like that's that's what I mean. He was a giver. That's what a coach really is, right? Coaches, we are givers. We are selfless by nature. We give way more than we take. And the fact like this man was educating people to his dying days speaks volumes about him. And that's also why his legacy, you know, endures. Absolutely. I think that's a big part of it. So speaking of coaching Mm. and legacies, Mm. let's let's why don't you set the stage for this one, John? Getting started and staying fresh, a guide for brand new and seasoned coaches. What are we both? Both are really hard to do. (laughs) You know, like getting your start in coaching. So tough, right? Because I remember when I started coaching, like I thought it was all about the numbers. And I I mean, because it's attractive. It's simple. It's cut and dry. It's straightforward. It's like the promise of if the numbers get better throughout the season, the athletes get better. And it's true, right? We use the numbers, whether it's volume, intensity, load, whatever you want to call it, miles, um, as a proxy to measure progress. But two, it's not always just a nice, neat, you know, linear um, input-output that we like to think it is. And so then you get frustrated. You're like, hey, this person's been doing a lot of work. This person's been really consistent. This person... And sometimes we forget that you're not entitled to the fruit of your labor, right? You're only entitled to the labor itself. But it can be tough if you're just starting out and you don't know what's going on or, you know, some wise old timers with a lot of experience will give you some like advice or insight that seems kind of woo-woo-y and like you, you kind of reject it. And it's just, it's really tough because like you, you're, you're competing against a lack of experience and a lack of domain knowledge. And the flip side of that too is as we become more seasoned coaches, we can definitely ossify and get in ruts. This is the way we've done it. You know, the old, I do it the same way every year for 20 years, nothing new, right? And it's what works and it's, I have confidence in this. It's just plug and play, copy and paste, you know, cookie cutter template, right? And I, you know, I was, my college coach had that style. He was like, yeah, we do the same workouts every year. I just adjust them a day or two based on how well I thought we ran at conference. I was like, wait, what? That's it. That's the logic. Yep. I mean, I'll, I'll move it back and move it forward, you know, the next year, just based on how well I thought we performed at conference. I said, 
it just didn't seem right to me. <laughs> it just seemed like he was mailing it in, you know? Uh, so I was like, hmm. And the, the reality is, right, coaching is very dynamic. There's a lot going on. Coaches are people too. But staying fresh, I feel like, is just as hard as, you know, getting started because you don't want to just do novel things just for the sake of novelty. Like you want to do it to make the athlete better, right? That's the Hippocratic oath we all take, do no harm and make the athlete better. But I, I honestly, I never thought I'd get into like biomechanics like I have. I never thought I'd like be telling people, all right, here's all these wickets. I never thought I'd be talking about spinal engine theory and like the fascial um, biotensegrity, you know, um, system and all that stuff. Like it, it all seems kind of like wild and crazy stuff, but in order to stay fresh and do right by my athletes, it was a path I had to take. And that, that path of constant renewal is the same path as starting out. And it's like, you just never get off that path. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's why there's like tension between these two things, right? When you start, you're almost like, okay, I need some idea like you're fresh you're like where do i go and what often happens is you you kind of latch on to a system that starts to work and then because it works you start to almost like cement around that system and it's for good reason like it works like these things these workouts led to success so i'm gonna do this and if you're not careful, what happens is then you then like ossify into the guy who always does X, Y, and Z and always like defaults towards like the system. So it's really about balancing like this almost security with flexibility because like there's something secure about, especially once you get started and you have some success knowing hey, most of the time, this is going to do a pretty good job, right? Most of the time, if we follow this pattern, we're going we're gonna to end up running pretty well. But at the same time, if you go too far in that security, what happens is you don't evolve, you don't update, you fall behind because training is an ever-evolving process where we, we're essentially, it's the scientific method. What are we doing? We're making a hypothesis, we're doing the training to test that hypothesis, seeing the results and seeing if our hypothesis was correct. And what happens is over time, because of that natural process among hundreds and thousands of coaches, we refine our ideas and that what we now know, quote unquote, works is a little different than when you and I started coaching, you know, a couple decades ago. So, so like what I'm getting at is we have to kind of have both security and flexibility. And when we get pulled off in other sides, you know, they're way too flexible where we abandon completely what, what has tried and true worked or way too secure. So we cement and we can't evolve with the training either side. We kind of get left behind. Yeah. And that's, you know, the hard part with coaching, right? It is that, um, that tension, right? Of this might work. And also at the same time, this might not work because if you only go with what you know works, it will work, but you are missing an opportunity for expansion. You're missing opportunity to level up. And that's where it's like, it's so hard because we are, you have to have a certain degree of, you know, justified risk tolerance, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, but it, it, it's a tension. It is totally a tension. Like for me, when I understood the value of, um, what we call flux training now, right. And Igloy's methodology, and then going back into the high school scene and going, okay, scientifically mitochondrial biogenesis, all this stuff, da, 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 this should all make sense. But then I applied it into a high school team out of the blue, like scholars know this, you saw this, like, it was like, I went all in on it. I was like, all right, I did a, a whole thread on it, like inside track and field season uh, in the clubhouse, in the chat, but I didn't do any long runs. We didn't meet on the weekends and the kids only ran like maybe if you're counting miles, eight to 15 miles a week, 
a week. <laughs> like it was the antithesis of what I grew up with, what worked for me, you know, like Steve, obviously, you know, his, his upbringing with higher miles as well. But I was like, all right, we're, and we're going to swim hard and fast relative every day to a certain degree, but not too hard and not too fast. Like that kind of Goldilocks just right, but fluctuate the intensity with these fresh runs or the 200 meter drill or the 400 meter drill or what have you. Right. And I was like, Ooh, this might not work. But I was like, it should really work because the science is, is there. The science is super clear. And plus we also had Igloy, Bowerman, Dillinger, you know, Henry Rono. There was a lot of like, you know, historical precedent in the literature there, uh, clauses, easy interval method, you name it, right? It was there. And you know what? I did it and it worked. It was great. Whew. <laughs> Whew. And now we have other coaches who are doing it. We have, you know, a coach uh, in South Carolina who's all in on it and his team is just crushing it. He sent me, um, you know, a text the other day and was like, hey, we've done primarily flux training and wickets and we qualified like you know we swept all the distance spots in our um, district or reason and I was like what you swept all of them in all excuse me yeah we swept them all and I'm like and we're not doing any long runs we're not doing this like I'm a believer I'm a converter you know another coach in the clubhouse was like you know it's so awesome now my kids are so much more competitive in races they trust their kick they're not worried about time they're about competing they're like Fluck, you know, they come up to me after the race and go, Coach, this flux training works. Coach, this wicked stuff works. And it's like, that's awesome. But as a coach, you have to take the leap first sometimes. And it, it is totally against our nature because we want that stability and security. Yeah, we, you know, it, it's, it's tough to balance out those two. That's, as I said, that stability and security. And that's why I almost look at it as like the, um, the way I like to see it is every year I need a small percentage of my training devoted to dabbling, which means like exploring new ideas in different ways to test, to see if things work or don't. And every once in a while, you're going to have to take the big swing and say like, okay, we're going to go all in on this direction once you've proven that concept. But to me, it's like dabbling in things. I mean, I look at, you know, way back in the day where it's like, well, how do you get, how did, for instance, hill sprints become a, a staple in my program? Well, it was because I started dabbling and sprinting every week with myself and then with athletes and noticed, hey, wait a minute here. Like by just doing a couple sprints, we're, we're like sharp, but not like, sharp in the wrong way all year long meaning we could come off our our kind of base training and and kids could still run pretty dang fast even though we haven't ha hammered any intervals whatsoever which ran kind of counterintuitive to the kind of old school uh lydiard uh strict periodization of like do a then b then c even though lydiard himself had sprints and stuff in there but like that's where you get ideas from. I remember as, as well is uh, experimenting with, I saw a Canova style hill circuits and I was like, what is this? This is kind of crazy. And then I, I experimented with it. And I was like, holy crap, this works. So we started implementing like hill circuits. I remember one cross country season where we did pretty well as a team. We started implementing hill circuits instead of some of the kind of longer um, aerobics training, like threshold type training we did because why? The hill, the hill circuits filled that gap because the Canova hill circuits are freaking long. When you, yeah. when you look at the total like <laughs> amount of like you're running, you're doing, you know, squat jumps or jumping, whatever it is, like you, you calculate it out, out and you're like, oh, we're doing like, you know, four by seven minutes uh, with jogging in between. Like this is a long aerobic workout. So you, you know, that's where it's like, how do you stay fresh where you dabble in things? And I think one of the ways to do it is like give yourself permission to experiment, even if it sounds a little strange or you're a little afraid of like, well, what if I screw everything up? Well, 
take a small bit of your training and say, you know what, for this 10% of training, like I'm going to experiment, I'm going to try this. And in fact, I know I could go on and on, but you know, one of the, one of the years, you know, when I started implementing this quote unquote flex training is when I took out all of my traditional, we'll call it like longer repeats, you know, you used to do, I don't know, uh, six by mile or five by 2k or whatever at kind of 15k to 10k effort this was preparing for cross and i said you know what screw this stuff we're just going to do oh, back then we called them like you know the alternations we're going to go 800 on 800 off or like thousand on six off and we're going to do all of our quote unquote 10k ish type work in this kind of realm and guess what we ran better and after that i said <laughs> you know what I'm going to include more of this stuff and less of that. It doesn't mean I don't ever do six by mile, but now I understand like, oh, this other thing fills this gap here because you experiment. Yeah. I remember, dude, like you're the one who turned me on to alternations. Like um, I think I read an article you'd written in running times back when running times was a, a thing. Right. And you were a con regular contributor on alternations. That was like the first time I really, heard of it kind of codified in a very you know articulate way and it wasn't just like fartlek or this like loosey-goosey feels you go like it was a specific thing that we're you know we're trying to achieve a specific end and i couldn't wrap my head around it i was like this guy is mega smart you know i mean luckily i knew you so i'd be like what the hell <laughs> you know because like, i always felt like you were like you know, several things like you would always come to the table first with it. I was like, I remember when we were talking back when you lived out here in Oregon and you're like, yeah, we don't do ice baths anymore. I go, what? I lived and breathed ice baths in college and I tell all my athletes to do ice baths after workouts. And it's like, like, no, it's not what we want, G. I was like, and you just turn me on to the game. Right. But that's part of it is having a community, having colleagues, having peers who have an exploratory mindset because Honest to God, Steve, without you, I would probably be doing things very similar to how I was doing them, you know, before all these conversations and dialogues and not um, have the capacity to go out and explore and experiment in this, uh, you know, with the enthusiasm I have now. And it's not just like throwing, you know, mud at the wall and seeing what sticks. It's like when you go and explore and experiment, you want to again, be scientific, say, if I do X, I think the outcome will be uh, Y, right? Not just like, if I do X, we'll see what the outcome is. That That's always the guinea pig experiment where it's like, you just do it on yourself, <laughs> you know, before you touch it on the athletes. I mean, I do all the um, scientific ones on myself first also, but, you know, you want to make sure that you know the outcome and objective you're trying to achieve. I'll give an example of this. Like, it doesn't always work. Like, you know, when you take the Bonnerchuk, you know, block periodization or constant loading periodization methodology where you do the same type of stimulus and you hit that with high frequency over and over and over again. And in this example, the 400 meter drill. And for people who don't know what the 400 meter drill is, that's a very simple activity that uh, I've been doing with my athletes for several years now. It's very much flux in nature. So it's run 400 meters at around or maybe a little faster than your 3K effort or 3K goal pace. And then you take razor thin recovery. You start off at 50% or, you know, one to a half work rest ratio. So if I run five, 10 minutes is my goal for 3K and I run a, a lap in 80 seconds, I'm taking 40 seconds recovery to start off. And then the idea is you incrementally reduce the recovery interval, which is a legit standing, catch your breath, walk around, start again. That's why it's called the 400 meter drill. There's no jog. We just do 400 standing, walking, repeat. And you want to reduce that down to like a quarter, right? So down to like 20 seconds. I mean, Frank Shorter did this, right? He did you know, I mean, that's classic Frank Shore workout. He'd be like, oh, I know I was super fit when I could do 15 times 400 at, you know, 61 with 15 seconds rest. So I go, yep, that'd be super fit for a marathoner. <laughs> so, and, and it works, this drill works really well with like Daniel Herrera and, you know, kind of more advanced athlete and it also worked really well with high scorers. But when I started to apply it uh, recently with um, remote athletes I was working with and you know, some master's athletes, uh, some younger fresh out college athletes, uh, some, 
you know, uh, soon to be master athletes. Guess what? It didn't work that well. It was like they got broken down and fatigued and they couldn't handle the frequency of loading of that drill in a condensed period of time. Even though I had these data points where like it worked for an elite male distance runner and it's worked really well for a bunch of high school runners. For them, that, that four meter drill was too corrosive. They couldn't bounce back as fast as I thought. So what was that? It was another data point. I was like, ah, can't have them do six in a block, right? Because that's usually my standard is six uh, repeat, repeat, revisitations of the same workout construction in a condensed, um, you know, stable gains block. I go, ah, they seem to start to erode around, you know, workout number four or five. But I didn't know that with these athletes because they're new athletes to me. But it's been consistent across the board with these this type of athlete population that's this remote you know athlete who is a local elite type status in their you know age classification has a job has a family has all this but that was data right that's good data and they were cool with it because we were able to stop the experiment so to speak because what they were reporting on recovery ability how they felt you know after the workout or workouts or going into the um, succeeding workout um, it, uh, you know, it showed me, okay, we, it, it's just not working. And so that flexibility is important because had I been really rigid and said, oh no, this works for them and them. And I've done many times before and something's wrong with you. It's like, no wrong. Like, you know, it, it, it might not work and that's okay. But we didn't, they didn't get, you know, injured or sick or tired. You know, we took a little mini recuperation cycle where it's like four or five days of just, you know, that kind of Rogers Bannister go off and do something different, light jogging, don't train. And they bounce back really quick, but we caught the corrosion before it became too ero- uh, corrosive. And, you know, we have to be on, on, you know, alert for that as coaches. And then know it's okay to be like, Hey, I goofed up. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Are you okay with it? And luckily all of them were good with it because I told them it is an experiment going in. I don't know for sure what the best number of uh, interventions of this workout is going to be for you, but are you okay with running this experiment? Here's what should happen, right? I told him, here's what you should feel. Here's what you should encounter. Here's how it should go. And it didn't go like that. And that's okay. That's just data. Yeah. And I think it, it, again, I've mentioned this before, but it, it's almost like you're running your own little mini experiments, right? And you have to be open to adjusting and going as, as, and, as things come along and what i think often occurs is we just kind of instead of running the experiment we blame the athlete (laughs) or (laughs) we that's easy to do yes you know what i mean it's like and we've all had these experiences and we've all blamed the athlete before but you know the classic is someone's not running well and the coach goes well, look over there at Johnny. He's setting a PR. So the training must, quote unquote, work without understanding like the individual role or individuality of it and understanding it might work for Johnny, but not, not you know, Jemmy over there. And I think this is where it's always opportunity for um, for testing our assumptions. You know, if I look at you know, John earlier, I got to thank you for the kind words. But if you look at if you look at where kind of my knowledge on some of this stuff occurs, it's because it is because the traditional way didn't work for somebody, right? (laughs) Like you come up with the alternations or you like go into alternations because like, I realized that with some athletes, like doing whatever the traditional longer interval, like they couldn't handle it or the traditional like tempo, you know, one of the reasons, honestly, we went heavier into alternations as well. And it's because the traditional tempo or threshold run in Texas. kind of <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's uh that's like an impossible task. That's like running at 7,000 feet up a mountain to 10,000 feet. <laughs> you exactly. You need something. You need something that takes the the thing off. And if I look back on my high school training, even, um, you know, for most of our quote unquote high end aerobic work, my coach had us do fartlicks on this like hilly course. 
why did we do fart licks? They were controlled. They weren't as specific as alternations. But as I look back, I'm like, oh, because like for, you know, a large period of time during cross country season, long tempos sucked. (laughs) Like you couldn't do them. You'd run slow. So like alternations, what did it allow you to do? It allowed you to kind of have this kind of like high end aerobic effect, but you got to take your foot off the gas a little bit, not a lot. And that was the hard part, but it, it, it kind of switched the stimulus. And often as I look at these innovations, you know, what happens is you start questioning things because you tried something different and you had success with it. You know, I remember, um, a couple of instances in college where we had some really successful athletes who, for instance, only ran two days a week, right? And cross-trained the others. And what does that make you question? You're like, oh, we were able to get pretty dang aerobically strong to at least cover a 6K in cross-country without the, the you know, traditional mileage and stuff. What does this mean? How did we develop this? Is there a different way? Is there more specific? And that doesn't mean you totally abandon X, Y, and Z, but it gives you some more tools to understand, oh, this is how we can develop aerobically in a different constraint. Or similarly, I remember had an athlete who um, didn't recover very well off big workouts. So, So what did we do instead of the traditional, like two workouts in a long run, what we did is we did a bunch of mini workouts, you know, and it's like, okay, we're going to do mini workouts most days. And what you realize, and if you had the historical context, you're like, oh, this is kind of what Igloy was doing, like a bunch of mini workouts that, yeah, his were long, but like they were kind of just like moderate workouts most days, occasionally a harder one, but moderate workouts, which allows us to build that capacity. So it's in that exploration where you get understanding and you get some new ideas where, no, you're not going to maybe switch everybody to many workouts, but you realize, oh, this is another tool. This is another way to develop things. This is another way to keep fresh while still getting a training stimulus. Yeah. And the key, like you nailed it, Steve, is exposure to novel ideas and, ex- and constant engagement and dialogue with your peer group. I mean, honestly, it really is why we started the scholar program because, you know, it can be a really lonely road as a coach sometimes. And, you know, the higher, like I had an athlete ask me, you know, the other day at the high school practice, I was like, oh yeah, I've coached, you know, all levels, all abilities, champions at every level, blah, 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 blah. You know, I used to do this, used to do that. And she was like, well, why are you coaching us if why are you down? Why are you at the high school level? Like it was like, like the high school level was like a lesser than than the elite level. I go because this level's freaking awesome. <laughs> like because like it's so much fun, right? Because the the game, the calculus is different at the high school level when you're working with juniors versus when you're working with professionals who are trying to earn a paycheck and keep a paycheck. And there's so much pressure on the line, and it's so cutthroat at that level, right? It's a zero sum game. You know, like I always always hated competing having athletes compete against Danny Mackey's athletes because I knew what the bigger game was not just for the individual athletes but for me and Danny as well you know uh, you know I'm so glad I don't have to compete against him or even Steve right when we'd have athletes go against each other you know when he was coaching like Natasha Rogers you know at the Olympic trials and I was coaching Terry Walling like I hated it because I knew what was on the line right and it's just like at that level it's a different game and but at the high school level it's a, you know, it's an awesome game. And it really has kind of renewed my enthusiasm for coaching coming back down because every level has its own challenges that are unique, but you have to sustain that passion. And that's part of renewal and also part of getting started is being highly, highly passionate about what you're doing and about growing and exploring and discovering and talking and chopping it up. And I can't tell you how amazing it's been to sit down and talk with coaches who were coaching when I was in high school and still coaching, like say Tom Rothenberger over at Jesuit high school and just get to talk to him as a peer and figure out what he's about as this very, very successful program where they had both girls and boys cross country team make it to NXN last year. Boys team took second in the nation. Like, what are you doing? He's like, Oh Yeah we don't train in super shoes. We save super shoes for race day. I was like, 
genius, genius move right there. Genius. And so if he's not augmenting workout times with super shoes and I, you know, I see their kids, you know, running around cause we're around the same places and it's, it's facts. They're, they're just running in normal trainers uh, or like normal flats in, or normal spikes. He goes, we only bring those out for the big efforts because I want them to be strong. I don't want them to have these inflate, this inflated sense of ability. And because we want that extra boost when you put on the super shoes. And it was so refreshing to hear a high school coach do that <laughs> and be doing that and having outsized success because it's easy to fall into that trap of, oh, we need to get the times, the times, the times, scholarships, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, dude, it's so, so good, smart to hear. And we talked about flux training, right? Uh, last time we spoke and he was doing flux training work in his programming, even though he didn't know it was that, but you know what he was doing, Steve? And this guy with 40 plus years of coaching experience at the highest level, like coached multiple state champion teams, individuals, now national caliber teams. As we were talking, he had a notebook and he was writing this stuff down. <laughs> he was like, oh, I've never heard of, you know, what'd you call it? Like glycolytic, um, you know, capacity. I go, yeah. And he goes, oh, okay. Like, oh, what is this mitochondrial biogenesis? I go, yeah. And he's like, what's that? I go, oh, this is when the cells get exposed to this type of environment and da, 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 and going on and on. But he was taking notes. And I was like, I'm the one learning from you, man. But no, he was learning from me. And it was this reciprocation with a peer like you and I have had for many years. That's the key. You got to find someone or groups of someone's who are seekers and explorers, but also the most important sharers because the best of the best share openly. And you know, that's how I know a good coach from a mile away. Are they selfless and sharing not only with their athletes, but with their peers and their competition? You don't really get that at the pro level, right? Steve, as you and I know, because it's such a zero sum game and everyone wants to just have a paycheck the next year, <laughs> even the college level too, right? It sucks. But, you know, that's why I think we're a little different because we said, ah, forget it. We'll just share everything. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's a huge thing is like there's a, there's a scarcity mindset of if I share, I'm going to give away my secrets. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, that's kind of, you know, kind of it's just misguided yes it's, there are no secrets you look at lydiard shared everything look at canova shares everything look everything. at bowerman shared bowerman, everything shared everything dillinger like the, book after book after book shared everything it's like the legends in the sport weren't worried about like oh i've got the secret i'm on a everybody's gonna figure it out no they they knew that they'd be better when they shared and i think that you know that if we talk about both starting starting out is you need to expose yourself to different ideas and share and talk with others and then to stay fresh it's also the same as like talk to others you know investigate share your training talk things through when you do that good things happen and i take it a step further you know one of the things that really helped keep me ability to see things fresh from a training standpoint is to venture out of out of running as well. Yes. Oh yeah, huge. You know, yeah. I remember talking to talking to and reading books on swimming, skiing, like cycling, triathlon, roller skating, like any sport that had like some sort of similar training <laughs> aspect. I just go look at it, and what you realized when you do that is you'd be like, oh. These, you know, cyclists are seeing things through this lens and they might have a better idea on A, but they're a little behind on B. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, 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 and you start to see this and that allows that allows you to kind of see the bigger picture of what kind of tends to work and what doesn't and where maybe as coaches in in track like or cross country, like we're headed maybe down a path that cycling or roller skating or cross country skiing already went down at some point or vice versa. They're headed down a track that we went down and was a dead end. And that exposure to different things and ideas is what gets, um, you know, gets a start. I mean, one of the most influential books that I read as a young coach was, uh, 
the the science of winning by the swim coach and physiologist Jan Olbrecht. I was just going to say that yeah. like yes, hands down, hands down like and you know what another great book is? The Science of Swimming written yep. by the like multi-time national champion coach from Indiana back in the 60s. Yep. Like two of the most important books I've ever read were swimming books. What? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where you need to like branch out and, and see things through a different lens. And then the last thing that I think I really want to highlight that you, you hit on is if you need to, it's not just being a fresh from a training standpoint, it's being fresh from like a motivation and passion standpoint. And what often happens, especially as you have some success, maybe as you go through the levels in your college and pro or whatever have you, coaching at a high level is you you kind of miss out, and you mentioned this, but you kind of miss out on the things, the reasons you got into the sport in terms of coaching it. And sometimes going back and helping kids, high school kids and seeing that kind of like natural curiosity and that like natural growth gets you back on oh okay this is why i coach right this isn't this isn't like you know faking it or like it's not about you know winning a b and c or getting a person on the team this is what drew me to coaching so i think even like just getting back to that and get and that gets you away from kind of the you know, the, maybe the pessimism of being in the college or a professional scene for a while where you're just like, oh, this is all about winning championships or, you know, whatever jaded approach you see, you get back to, you get to back to no, no, like this is just one kid seeing what they can do and me helping them hopefully see that they can do more than they thought was possible. Yeah, dude. No, I mean, when I was talking and sitting down earlier this spring with Tom Rothberger, the majority of our conversation was not dominated by our star athletes. You know, like he's had multiple athletes run very fast, like uh, 820 range for 3K or faster, right? On the guy's side, girl's side, like, you know, four sub 430, 1500, what have you. Um, you know, and, you know, like I had coach a couple state champions in my uh category or classification in the the state you know the year before right like boys 800 back-to-back girls 15 and 3k we did not spend the most of our time talking about those athletes and their training you know we just said hey man they're they're just different they're wired in a certain way they were really high responders we spent most of the conversation talking about the jv tier athletes that we work with the kids who like flipped a switch and then started to really identify with running. And, you know, it's like, they're not going to get a scholarship. They're not going to, you know, maybe at best they could walk on on like a D3 school or any high school, but they're, you know, identifying as a runner and they're in the community. And he goes, and he's like, you know what? I know doing this for 40 years, what I'm doing with that JV athlete, getting them forever to identify and passionate about running is I know I am making future healthy um, people, healthy families who identify and regularly run, but also I'm making future coaches because a lot of my JV athletes, you know, and this is a guy with four years experience, have gone on to be coaches at high school or college. And I'm like, you're so smart. Yes. You know, because what happens is at that age, every kid's looking for a little bit of a self-identity, a self-concept. And it kind of sticks, right? You can change and morph and evolve. But I mean, you know, Steve, you and I are still nerding out about running here 20, you know, 20 plus later is half a lifetime later. Like, <laughs> I mean, we have other interests and pursue other things, but yet it always comes back to this, right? Because it's a core um, facet of our self-concept and identity. And so we talked a lot about, oh yeah, that spark when the JV athlete gets it, you know, this big PR for them. Like, you know, I related like this, uh, you know, young girl, like who was, is very, was very weak and also, uh, physically, um, you know, you know, slumped over, didn't have like really good core capacity or core strength as we would call it or posture. And then also really high, 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 high anxiety right before racing high, super high, like make herself vomit. I, you know, I, people's dilated, like this is the biggest threat in the world. And 
you know, she had this really coming out moment where she came up to me, had an anxiety attack right before the race. I was like, hey, just go out there and go do your thing. Don't think about it. Just go do it. And, you know, kind of just said, you, I said, you're ready. You can rock and roll. And she went out and she just led her pack the whole way in a race, got out, kicked at the very end, but the whole way in the 1500 led her pack. And, you know, this girl PR'd by like, uh, you know, something stupid, like 12 seconds. What was her time? 550 for 1500. It was not anything to write home about, but for her, she broke six minutes for the first time. She was assertive. She led the whole way. She bat tried to battle back in the final kick on the home straightaway. And, you know, we have this game we play, like whoever gets the biggest PR on uh, a meet day, they choose the candy. And because I gave candy to my high school kids, they choose the kind of candy that everyone gets the next day. We call it share the success. So like if one of us succeeds, all of us succeed, right? And we use candy as the currency or the physical um, um, object to manifest that success because what high school kid doesn't love candy? You know, <laughs> it's super simple, not rocket science. So, you know, and it's like, you just go to Costco or whatever and you, you buy and you buy the whole candy bar. Like I don't buy, it's not just the uh, Halloween type candy. Like, cause I want it to mean something. I want it to have some gravitas where it's like this person PR'd, they picked the candy we all get. And what is a cost coach? Like my group's only eight people big. So it's like eight bucks. Right. But to them, it's a social signaling that, Hey, I was seen for this success and everyone else gets to share in it. And so it creates this unification and bond that's stronger, not only amongst peers and me and them, but also to the sport and saying, what matters is giving your best, doing the best you can do, because that's what matters in life. There will always be someone faster, richer, you know, have more stuff, blah, 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 more followers than you, like, you know, whatever. But what matters is this. And that is really like, so much of that conversation Tom Rothbard and I had was dominated by generally talking about art, you know, and giving different examples about those types of moments. I love it. I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about to me is like, as a coach, it's those moments that stick with you. And even, you know, reflecting, like you think you're going to mention or remember maybe the championships or whatever have you, the, and you remember some of that, but really it's those moments of like change and transformation mm -hmm. that, that capture you as a coach. And it's change and transformation, not, you know, based on times or what have you, but like those, those breakthroughs were just like, oh my gosh, like this person, you know, did something that, that they never expected to, or this person was able to like work through this like inner demon they had to yeah. be able to form at the highest level and that's what's really cool about our sport and yeah. the more we can kind of engender and like coach towards that the better we are yeah you know you and brad had that um weekly newsletter and we've talked about it before that was titled like the infinite game versus the finite game right and i played the finite game a lot when i was a young coach and that's what's so hard starting out because you think you have to play the finite game coach fast, fast athletes, get some notoriety. Hey, he's a good coach. She's a good coach. Their athletes are running fast, qualifying the races, making it here and there. And that is important. hundred percent. Not saying it's not, you know, people are outcome and result oriented and based. And that's a part of the game. Like we are competing, like we want to compete, but it's understanding what sport can be a vehicle for and what running really can be a vehicle for at the level you're playing the game at. And once I understood the infinite game and that sport and running can be a vehicle to change someone's life, self-confidence, self-concept, their identity in a really, really healthy, positive way, that's what endured me to coaching at any level and every level. Because if I was just this like snobby coach, I was like, oh, I've coached women who have ran, you know, 4 blah for 1500, like pfft. Breaking six minutes, 1500, what's wrong with you? That's, it's over a lap slower. It's like, no, dude, it's a vehicle for something bigger. And when we understand that infinite game, you can then, you know, kind of uh, assimilate and coach at every and any level 
and not be like, you know, have an ego about it or worried about your social status in the community. You're like, no, man, I'm addicted to that. <laughs> I'm addicted to that. Seeing that person do something they never done before. And then you see it in their face and their eyes, this amazing sense of self-confidence, this amazing sense of, hey, I actually can trust myself. Hey, I actually, if I push myself, good things will happen. And then you develop grit, determination. You create a strong person, a strong will that then goes on in life to be able to push through the challenges that are set in their pathway, whether they be financial hardships, you know, health hardships, um, you know, family hardships, because we'll all face those hardships, right? But that's the bigger, bigger and better game to play, in my opinion. And staying fresh as a coach is about also understanding the dynamics and the um, evolving multidimensional worldview about what sport is and giving value to every arena. Like, yes, the outcomes, the PRs, the, the winning, the, the result, but also to the, the development and the small part you play in the development of a living, breathing, you know, and of one human being. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's simple, but hard to see sometimes, but that's what it's all about. It's like developing people. And if you keep that front and center, guess what? It's going to make you where you explore more. It's going to make you where you share more. It's going to make you where you're, you know, more open to possibilities because like you realize it's not about you. It's not about you finding some magic secret training thing. It's about helping people be better. And, you know, give them, give them the story one more time of what Tom Telez is doing right now. <laughs> I mean, Tom Telez, so the one of the greatest coaches in track and field history, Coach Carl of Lewis, all time, Leroy Burrell, <laughs> Mike Marsh, like all these guys. Okay. Every, you know, every so often, what he does is he walks over to the local. Uh, school track that is not too far from where he lives and he works with these kids teaching them how to long jump or whatever like run all sorts of stuff and I remember I had lunch with him a couple months ago and he says Steve you wouldn't believe it I taught this I think I don't know 10 or 11 year old how to hitch kick on the long jump and you're just like, you know, and he's smiling and having a blast and he's so excited. And then he pulled out some video he took of this other like 13 year old running and be like, look how much he's changed here. And that to me is it's the coach's coach. It's like this yep. person has been to the highest high of all mountains. <laughs> mountain. Like mm -hmm. he coached the athlete who was the literally you know, named the greatest athlete in the 20th century at yes. some point. Yes. And, and it, here he is in retirement, just helping some random kids learn how to long jump mm. and enjoying the hell out of it. And that, that to me is like what coaching is about is like, it's the process of helping people. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, helping them to make the junior high track team or win an Olympic gold, like you're helping people develop. Yeah. Amen. I mean, I actually talked to one of my mentors who is not famous and I don't regularly mention on this podcast, but David Lee, who gave me my start in college coaching, who allowed me as some ding dong high school coach to become an NAI assistant college coach and really, really like gave me the platform from which to spring because it's very hard as any coach knows to get hired into the college ranks without any college coaching experience. <laughs> it's very, very hard to go from high school to college. Very hard, very rare. Um, so he gave me that opportunity and, you know, he started, founded a program. It's just a small NAI school in Portland, you know, Warren Pacific, no one, a program no one's ever heard of. And, you know, I coached her for several years before I was fortunate enough to go over to UP with Rob Connor, but that was a springboard for it. Right. And he retired long ago. He retired, you know, I mean, he recruited me and 
because um, he started the program when I, we were in high school, Steve. So he, re- he was trying to recruit me. But, you know, I was, I want to go to D1 because that's the best level, blah, 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 <laughs> mindset. <laughs> but then it came back and he he supported me. And I saw him at a track meet yesterday. Uh, you know, the last um, dual meet of the season before the district meet. And you know what he was doing? He was starting all the races at age 84. And I go, coach, man, how you been? He goes, and he's just like, oh, Jamar, it's great to see you. Da, 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 talk to me about his wife, Colleen, and, you know, how his grandkids are doing. Da, 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 da. And I go, I, you know, I, last every time I see you, you say you're going to retire <laughs> and, like, just go travel and do nothing. And he's like, I mean, how many races have you st- have you officiated this year? He goes, oh, this to this race, this is number 30 of the year. I'm like, what? You call this retirement? He goes, well, yeah, you know, last year I only officiated 15 because I was also helping coach pole vault at this inner city Portland high school. And I had a great group of kids. And you hate to leave the kids. You always hate to leave the kids. And so it's just a running joke that he is constantly never retiring. And he was a really good high school coach and teacher. Like he had coached in the 90s. Uh, state cross country championship teams and such. And then he, you know, started this pro this NAI program and had some national, we had some national caliber NAI level athletes. And then, you know, he retired once and then came back and started another NAI program in the Portland area at Multnomah university out of retirement and got that program jump started. Then he retired again. And then he went in and coached that helped out at this high school and then coached and helped out this high school and then pole vault and officiate. And it's like, it's like when he was supposed to retire when he retired from teaching and coaching at the the high school in the two early 2000s <laughs> and he's been coaching ever since i mean 20 years later he's still coaching in some capacity like, this is literally the first year that the guy is not coached he's just a fi- but he's officiated right he's still like plugged in like i mean it's so cool to see and i go i want to be like that I want to be like that, you know, and that's what I left with yesterday. I want to be him. You may never heard of him. You may not know him, but we, all we did was talk about athletes that we had a a, a mutual um, um, interaction with or time together spent when I was coaching at the college. And he's like, oh yeah, this person's doing this. This person has two little ones. And like, he's just dialed in on like, where everyone was at. And he goes, Oh yeah. You know, Katie's here, you know, Jared's doing this, you know, Eli's doing that. And you're like, you keep up with them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, but it's not just that group of people. When I was there, he keeps up with all the athletes Hmm. all like, I mean, Oh my God, it warms my heart. He, and most generous, kind, humble, amazing human being. And like, I can't say enough. Like he gave me my start in a lot of things in USA track and field administrate you know admins and stuff that allowed me to like get into meat directing at a high level and without him there is no me but it's just that's his dna he's a coach's coach through and through that's awesome i love stories like that and they really i mean all they they drive home what's important and all, all i would say is on this podcast is like really take the time to consider like what matters what's important like what actually matters to you and the athletes you're working with and if you figure that out like good stuff is gonna follow cosine 100 yes all right well with that we'll leave you to you know explore expand try new things start anew be fresh and remember that you know what coaching is all about. It's about and people. to get that daily drip, that daily reminder, join the scholar program. Like Steve and I aren't just saying it just to like pat our own pockets or anything. No, 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 no. It's so stupid cheap at like just over a dollar a day adjusted for inflation. Because like that is our a, a source of renewal going into the chat and the different channels we have and hearing the dialogues that are amazing dialogues and back and forths and community of sharing and helping that's going on with 500 plus members of all, you know, backgrounds and abilities. 
like it gives me renewal just to read all all the stuff like when i read that like you know sue had set the american world record like i literally was just jumping up and down going yeah and my wife comes in and go what is wrong i go one of our scholars she just set the a record in the 800 she's running faster at age 60 than you you know it's just like it was like i lived that because you know sue's in there like always just chopping it up you know, showing good vibes, asking good questions, wanting to learn more, wanting to get better, posting videos of herself doing wickets, say, hey, am I doing it right? Hey, can I get some help? I mean, it's really something special, man. I, I'm so, so, so humbled and thankful we have these tools and we're using them in a really uh, enlightened way to make not only our peers and our community better, but also to, to you know, kind of give us a, a little dopamine hit and make us feel good too. Cause I read stuff like that, man. I just smile ear to ear. Absolutely. hundred percent. So check it out. You won't be disappointed and you know, keep on doing your thing as coaches. We support you. That's what it's all about. So until next time, everybody, best of luck. Keep on coaching. <laughs>